What's happening, podcast listeners? On this episode of the podcast, I'm hanging out with Glenn Marston, who I got to give Rob Mack a shout out for the introduction. Glenn and I connected, and man, he is just one of the most down-to-earth, amazing, remarkable human beings who is an internationally like world-renowned photographer. He's been one of those people who has been in the thick of like some of the most world renowned and world known celebrities and competing with them, working out with them and definitely went through a bit of an identity image crisis, uh, you know, early on in his life and just, just decided, you know, it's time to figure out how to be the best version of his, of his, of himself and how to inspire others to do that as well too. He is the founder of imperfectly perfect campaign, which is just going worldwide, which is phenomenal and just helping people figure out who they truly are. And so I just am, proud to call him a friend and have just learned a ton from him from being on the show and other conversations we've had. So I would highly, highly, highly recommend tuning in. And also, if you just want to see some amazing photography, check out his Instagram. You can find him at Glenn underscore Marston um, and just worth following along. So Glenn, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast and uh, just keep changing the world, man. Glenn, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. You're welcome, mate. And thank you for inviting me along. We, uh, we, we were a little back and forth, mainly like my complete incompetence on getting this scheduled. So it's good to be here. I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited for this. This should be a lot of fun. <laughs> it happens. Life happens. It gets in the way. So yeah, just gratefully it happened. And uh, we're both here today. Well, that's the motto of 2020, I guess, for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Glenn, tell me the life story. Or give me the background. Ooh, life story. Where do you want? Um, Basically, born and raised in the UK, in South Yorkshire, if you know a little place just outside of uh, Manchester. So, um, initially started my story there, so to speak, and I've always had this mentality of, I always felt there was something further than staying in the local area. So, I was from a background of basically a small countryside area, finished school, went to college, did university, and then pretty much took to the health and fitness sector. So, there was this huge organization in New Zealand called Les Mills International that basically did group fitness classes. Got a one-way ticket to New Zealand. Um, didn't know what was out there, but I just knew there was something, some kind of calling just to do something bigger than, than South Yorkshire, where I was from. And I went and uh, lived there, trained to be a professional, um, should I say, spokesperson through things that I was doing. And then Worked in the health and fitness sector, moved over to Sydney, Australia, met my wife and children, stayed running health clubs, went to Thailand, lived there for a while. And then basically I, I kind of had a, a demise being in the health and fitness sector. I started comparing myself to a lot of people. And by the time I turned 30, I had a bad bout of depression and body dysmorphia. So with that being said, I basically hit it for a long time, probably around two, three years. It went too dark and too deep for too long until nearly split my marriage up, went to see somebody. By the grace of God, we got a call to move back to Sydney, Australia with, uh, with some childcare, which was predominantly why we moved to Thailand. It's hard to find in Sydney, Australia for five days a week. And um, yeah, got myself better through cognitive behavioral therapy, really passionate about mental health. Two years ago, I turned social media back on because it was an attributing factor to my demise, comparing myself to these highlight reels and people's bodies. And uh, I found that sadly a friend had taken his life back home. But again, attesting to highlight reels, nobody knew because he looked like he had the ultimate life, career, good family, home, 
So that brings us to today. I started the Imperfectly Perfect campaign. Within 12 months, it went international and has the backing of over 285 influential public figures just changing the narrative around mental health. I love that. There's so much of this whole story I want to unpack. Uh, first off, so you you mentioned like growing up kind of, it was like a countryside, is like rural, a fair term to say kind of what you grew up in? It is. The first time I took my then wife, um, well, she's still my wife, but the first time I introduced her to the family, took her back and I went with a newfound appreciation to see the countryside, the greenery. When you're younger and you just want things to do, the nearest neighbors are like 10 minutes away. We lived on a big farmhouse, took my wife back, absolutely loved it. Within two days, she said, what do you do? <laughs> so you can imagine <laughs> how, how like, isolated it was. So for you growing up, uh, going to high school, going to college, was that like the norm for uh, like your surrounding area? Like was, I guess, was like a college education a normal thing? Or was this typically people who kind of grew up and stuck around that area? Yeah, I think wherever you're brought up, there's obviously things inside us that we're led to. We're conditioned as in our environment, what we kind of do. And I've still got a lot of friends who have, stayed within the local area, gone to local jobs and are pretty happy. Whereas myself, I just knew it wasn't me. I felt there was something out there. I didn't want to stay in the area I grew up. I knew I didn't want to marry into the kind of environment I was in so that when I did have kids, they wouldn't get to see the world as much. And little did I know, moving to Australia, I met my now wife who was born in Thailand, grew up in Florida, moved to Australia, met me and um, so to speak, living happily ever after. Yeah, I <laughs> so, love that. So good. No, that's, that's amazing. So uh, you, you then jumped into like the fitness world and I appreciate you being vulnerable enough and, and willing. And I know obviously this is part of your, um, your business now, but sharing, you know, obviously the spells of depression and, and the hardness of that. Um, was that predominantly all driven by just the comparison concept of just you were a you know fitness guru or working out really hard and felt like you were in good shape but then compared to other people you know you weren't where you wanted to be or what was kind of that swing that started as like exciting in the fitness world that spun into you know that depression side yeah so I'd say I started within that about at the age of 22 and by the time I was 30 so I was the first one to teach a lot of these classes. I had the six pack. I was, I, I was, I was lean and I was teaching all these classes and I absolutely. You want to go, I may, I may need that workout because this COVID-19 has put a few pounds on me. So I may, uh, <laughs> send, me, send, me send me some sit-ups and a little motivation. I could use that. <laughs> I will do, mate. I will do. Um, yeah. Suppose I was teaching a lot of classes. I was lean. I was the first person on the beach and look, being in Sydney, Australia on Bondi, you do tend to, a lot of my friends looked pretty much like they'd come off a catwalk or off a photo shoot and they just looked incredible. Now, externally, somebody might have thought I did. However, what we do to ourselves and how we condition ourselves not to believe that is just unfathomable. And for me, I couldn't get this or I thought I couldn't get this aesthetic chest, this huge chest like some of my mates and big arms and look, I'm not going to sit here and say I was that naive as to think that they weren't putting things in the body. But when they were telling me and their friends that they were natural, it started playing with my head. And I was like, 
I'm training like you, I'm eating like you, why aren't I looking like you, I don't get it. And there's a big culture of people who do put supplements into the body who won't admit it, which there's no judgment there as long as you're not hurting anybody else and, and, and you're healthy and you're safe. But at the same time, it was predominantly my demise because people were telling me they weren't. I was comparing myself and then looking in the mirror and what started out like two to three minutes in the mirror suddenly took me to like two or three hours. And when we moved to Thailand, a totally different culture, my friends and everything, normality was taken out of play. I spent more time building a relationship with the mirror, which mm. wasn't good. <clears throat> so yeah, I, su I suppose that was, I can look back now and I can look at photos that I posted one um, and I'll send it if you want to share it. But it was probably one of my worst days. My wife took the picture and I look at it now and I posted it a couple of weeks ago on the campaign and everyone was like, damn, you were shredded. And I look back now and I go, Glenn, what did you do to yourself for three years of internalizing every little aspect of a perceived flaw that you thought you did or you didn't have? And you look completely fine. You look amazing. And it, it, it is amazing, which is why with this campaign, everybody always said to me, they know I lost a friend to suicide, but they were like, you're relentless. It went international with 12 months. That just doesn't happen. Like you've got this drive and persistence that you just don't give up. And I shared my story and it was like, we get it. Yeah. So just I mean, was uh, that you mentioned like your friends at the beach, that whole scenario uh, would look at them and say they were, you know, in perfect physique and all that was the culture sort of uh, was the, culture of everybody looking good everybody being as lean and perfect and look like they just came off the runway that whole side of thing was that like uh a completely unhealthy culture or was that like people pushing each other to do better like oh i work out hard that's why i look like this or was this like a very unhealthy like nobody ate when you guys went out for meals sort of thing i mean what was kind of the vibe with just even like the friend group or what you mentioned people who look like they came off the runway when they were in person yeah, I wouldn't say there was a kind of vibe where, where nobody was eating or anything like that because I think within, within the environment of fitness, so I've been in it for 25 years, when you scrape back things, when everybody goes into a fitness class and they look at that instructor on stage or that personal trainer, nine out of 10 times, I can tell you that that trainer or that instructor suffers either with over being self-critical of their body or with body dysmorphia because they're trying to pertain this looking good because it's a career which is based off as we see through social media and magazines it's always aesthetic based which is really wrong and i'm so grateful that you're seeing more magazines and and more media now covering different bodies because everyone's beautiful like and that's the thing i let it be my demise where i was thinking that i'd probably base my happiness on an outcome of getting this aesthetic chest and arms that I so badly wanted when really all I needed to do was love myself and turn it inside. But there was no toxic culture around it within my environment. I know people pushed each other in the gym, but again, it was one of those unspoken things. A lot of people still in that industry do not talk whether they're taking additional things to make themselves look a certain way. Um, yeah, and I, I, I suppose that's how it can be within 
the fitness industry. A good friend of mine, Rachel Newsham, she's a presenter for one of the largest um, group fitness, Les Mills International around the world. And she talks a lot about mental fitness because although fitness is, as we say, a lot about aesthetics when you see it perpetuated that way in magazines and things like this, what she wants to drive is, guys, it doesn't matter what you look like. The mental fitness is as important as the physical fitness. It's not what you look like, it's what's inside. That's such, that's such a good, I mean, just model to live by in general. That's such a good word. We don't need to harp too much on this, but last question kind of around that line is like, you mentioned predominantly this is kind of the unspoken elephant in the room culture in, uh, in the fitness industry. Do you, I, I got to believe, and I know there's probably actually a lot of data around this, but I got to believe basically Instagram has caused that among so many people. I mean, hell, I not necessarily in the fitness way, but I find myself like, I'm an entrepreneur. I get to travel a lot. I get to live a, quite frankly, super fun and blessed life. And I'm honored to kind of get to do what I do. But I even look at some other people and I'm like, man, I'm doing nothing compared to you. And I know that's like, I feel like just a culture of just what Instagram has a lot. I mean, social media in general, but specifically when you start talking like body image stuff, Instagram has just got to be the fuel for so much negativity of that. Well, that was my demise. So people often said, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. When I saw that psychologist, they were trying to like take it to a childhood, like a trauma or something. And it wasn't, it was only through the campaign when someone asked me and I worked out dates and I was like, it was actually Instagram, the social, but what you, what you spoke about there, like you live a great life. You've actually worked hard to got what you do, but there's this whole notion of this perception game. We're playing a comparison syndrome all the time where by we can see a visual of someone else's highlight reel and we think they're doing better than us. When in reality, behind that camera or behind that smokescreen, we don't know what's happening. Like, and, and that's, I'd say, social media culture. So I wanted to utilize social media and turn it back on its head and get people connected in a way that's going, look at the visuals of these. These are people you know, highly influential public figures, but it's not a highlight reel. They've not got makeup on. They're not, they're not looking happy. They're, they're telling their story of when they went through this. And what you see as... You, for instance, traveling the world and getting to do that. You've got a story behind that. Like what I've been able to build in a short amount of time, there was a lot of struggle in that as well. I was on oh, my own. Oh gosh, office. I wish I could tell people the nine <laughs> months of just utter all, like we had to go through and raise capital for my startup. And it was like, I was eating <laughs> shit food. I was drinking. I was not sleeping at all. I was waking up every single day from two to five in the morning, stressed. <laughs> And yes, I was hopping on airplanes. Yes, I was, you know, getting to do investor pitches and, you know, the, fine. But the, the day-to-day, if I had a highlight reel, people would say, no way am I interested in that at all. Like, so <laughs> I, yeah, it's so good. I, lo- I love what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, exactly what you said there. So for over a year, I was running health clubs. One day, whether it was serendipity or whatever, some guys came in, they were working on construction, they were working on a government project. They actually said, as we got talking about the gym, I said, what hours do you work and how much are you earning if you don't mind me asking? They told me, in my head, the way that my head works, I'm like, right, if I do that for 12 months, I can double my income, I've got no stress, I'm not running like 200 staff for working for someone else. I'll go and do it, I'll build this campaign on the side, So for 12 months, mate, I was up at 4.30 a.m. going to the gym, getting my mental clarity, studying modalities of business that I had no idea, like how to network properly, how to do media pitches, sponsorships, 
getting on the site at 6 a.m. till 6 p.m., getting home at 7 p.m., spending an hour or two with my wife and kids, getting on the computer, building this campaign until probably midnight and getting up at 4.30 for 12 months. And I always post it on my kind of highlight reels because people see it now and go, my God, look at all these. How do you know all these people? And look at all these people you're aligning yourself with and sponsorships. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was, all, it was all just luck. That's all it was, just luck. <laughs> oh, it's hard work and that's- Oh my goodness, the grind that you went through. So I, uh, question on that, like when you did that, that grind for like the 12 months, was, were you tired, exhausted, or were you kind of in that like workflow high for a period of time? Yeah, you know what? People ask me this all the time. And you know what I've learned? And I can probably turn that question on you as well. Because when you realize, when you're building something, you have this kind of, you have this energy and fire inside you that you don't feel the tiredness. Like people saw my thing. And behind the scenes for that 12 months, I was doing daily two posts a day across nine social media platforms. I was networking. I was doing media releases. I was doing this, this, and, this, and construction and the family. And people's going, how the hell did you not burn out? And I was like, I don't know. I think it was just something more than my ego. Something was far better than what I was doing that I never felt tired and I still don't. And when I do have that time, when I've got a downtime, probably you might feel the same. Um, I'm self-critical. I'm like, I should be doing something. I've learned to ease up on that now. However, at the time when I was quiet, <laughs> I was like, Glenn, this is not normal. You should be doing something. Oh my goodness, Glenn. I need some of your your coaching because like I'm... So I'm 26. I'm on the younger side and I, um, I, I'm in this like building career mode and I'm loving it and having a lot of fun with it. But like, to me, one of the most stressful days, if I can be brutally honest with you, one of the most stressful days for me is like either a Sunday or like a, a Friday after Thanksgiving where there's really nothing I need to be doing or a day where I could sit and watch TV. If I, if I sit down, I get this like, three minutes of relaxing. And then all of a sudden I, I'm like, wait a minute, I gotta be doing something. And I don't know what it is. I should be doing something. And it's just like one of these like huge, like, I, I don't know if it's like a guilt anxiety, but, and I, I'm working through, cause I know kind of what you're saying. There's like, all right, there's moments that, you know, you should deal with some of that pressure, but there's also moments where like, take a deep breath and stop being so critical on yourself. So anyways, all that to say, I can, I can resonate like that with like crazy. <laughs> No, I think is it. You know what, mate? I'll tell you now. If you if you haven't get into meditation, it's one of the best things. I know we both know Rob Mack, an incredible guy. Oh my goodness, the story. I mean, talk about similar storylines of what we're talking about here. Oh, it is incredible. He's become like one of my closest. A, a brother is is amazing. But him and Jeremy Jackson's a good friend, and they got me into meditation and breath work. And the amount of actual clarity you get because when you are in that that start of your journey, your career, and you're traveling your head's probably going 100 miles an hour. I know mine was. And you're telling yourself, once you get to a certain place, you're putting the outcome or your happiness to the outcome. And one piece of reality I got, I've got a family. And my wife actually said to me one day, she was like, you know what? You're putting so much effort into this and you're going to get where you want. But me and the kids might not be there. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm doing this for you. We're actually telling ourselves we're doing it for others and that we can relax. However, I understood what she meant. She was like, because all the kids see at the minute is dad constantly working and I don't see you as a husband. So by the time you get to where you are, we're not going to be there because we've long gone. 
And um, it's, it's such a profound moment where someone actually pulls you up on your crap and says stuff like that. So I turned it all around and then started doing some meditation. And I just went outside, like we live on the harbor, so got on some grass. And it's amazing that downtime, just go and sit with yourself and you will have more ideas that come to your head that you've been stressing about because you've actually relaxed your mind and gone, holy shit, I should have done this a bit earlier because I've got a bit more clarity now. I've not got everything going in my head. I'm just like, I'm grounded and yeah. Uh, weird, odd niche question. When you meditate, like what's your physical posture? So I lie down. It took me ages because you have this battle, especially with somebody that's got a hundred things going around in their head. So I used to say to Rob, I'd, I'd be ringing him. I'm like, dude, seriously, how do you meditate? Because I've got all this thing going in and out of my head. Like, how do you clear your head and your mind? Because every time I try, it's all coming in. And he said, you know what? Ground yourself on grass or, or, or something because it really takes you back to kind of those ground roots. He was like, you can sit up, but I prefer laying down. Take your shoes and socks off so you're actually touching the earth. And then those thoughts, those hundred thoughts that start coming in your head, let them come and then just let them flow in and out. So laying down to the answer. But if you try breath work, I like breath work because you've got no time to think because you're literally concentrating on your breath. So if you try that one, you've got no time to have all those thoughts and it just clears your head a lot quicker. Yeah, I love that. To me, so I've, I've, I've attempted to do some, uh, some meditation and I, I, it's kind of more, I just need to like consistently do it. I'll do like two days of it in a row, feel great, feel thrilled about myself and then I'll stop for like two months and I'll try again. So there's obviously just, you know, consistency piece of that. But the other side of it is like, really I struggle with just like the physical posture. So this is a weird thing, but I, I, don't need a lot of sleep. I'm kind of a four to five hour person, which I know I should be getting more, but like, I feel pretty good after that, but I do take two or three, like 20 minute naps a day. And so my problem with meditation is either like, that's why I asked the physical question is either I'm sitting up and I'm thinking all the time and I can't, I can't, I haven't gotten to the point in my meditation journey where I can, uh, properly, feel like I'm, I'm actually meditating, sitting up. If I'm lying down, I feel like I'm content, but I usually just end up falling asleep for 20 minutes. And that's like my 20 minute nap, which to me is very different than a meditation. I don't know. So anyways, but yeah, they, they, they always say a lot of the time. So I, I took to YouTube and found some meditation music and you know what? A lot of things go into your subconscious when you're sleeping. So I'd say don't overthink it or be self-critical of yourself and just, let it flow in and subconsciously, even if you're not off, your subconscious mind is actually, is taking everything in through that music. So it's like affirmations when you do your gratitude and you can play that all night and that's going into your subconscious. Love that. All right. So let's dive in more to, uh, to your business. So you, so much of this started from basically the depression, the spiral that you've found yourself in. And then also obviously, uh, the, the, the horrific understanding of, you know, somebody that you knew taking their life and that experience. And basically that the culmination of those things was the fuel for starting what you're working on now. So dive in a little bit deeper to that. Yes. So the imperfectly perfect campaign. So we're an organization now. So whereby we literally, what we did, we went in a different niche. So we accompany a lot of our celebrities, should I say, and I don't really like that word, influential public figures because you've got people through entertainment sports corporate 
<clears throat> the likes of David Meltzer and Blaine Barlett, all these top motivational speakers. And what we do, we, we accompany them with a clinical psychologist, holistic therapist, and we run international workshops. So pre-COVID, we were doing them in person. Now, obviously, everything's gone virtual. But through that, we've got so many clients. We've just signed on to two additional clients, which when the names are released, they're running them nationwide in the US, which will be absolutely amazing because more companies now are seeing how it's essential, especially with COVID. Productivity is going down because people are worried about the outcome of what's happening. So companies are really taking a stance and putting some money into mental health, which I love. Um, and furthermore than that, post-COVID, we're just working on some retreats where we can work into more healing retreats because a lot of people, especially in the, the corporate sector, when they're stressed, they medicate. They go straight to the doctor to get medication and they don't really work out what's suppressing those kind of emotions or <clears throat> those external, the environment where they've been conditioned. And, and yeah, it, it's just a whole, whole mind game, mate. So where you come with 100 miles an hour in your head, if there's something from childhood that you were told you weren't good enough by somebody and you've suppressed that emotion and you've taken it off and you're, and you're utilizing that as fire to actually prove them wrong, the only person is really it's hindering yourself. So you just need to kind of work on that instead of, I'm not saying you, but for anyone, medicate because all you're doing is numbing that pain. And we tend to, if you actually go internal and work on some inner child healing stuff, you'll actually find where that came from and to try and remove that blockage instead of, as we see a lot of people medicating just to not feel it. Remind me after the show to connect you with my buddy, Ryan, um, who is basically building out a physical uh, retreat center on this beautiful farm in Georgia. That's actually where I was this past week. Um, but remind me to connect to you because there's so, pairing with what you're doing. He'd be all over it. Um, and he would have potentially a physical location, obviously, once the world opens back up to do that. So don't let me forget to do that. But um, f for you, uh, are you like... <sighs> I hope this, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it, it, is most of the work you're doing preventative healing or reactive healing? So do you take a schmuck like me and you say, okay, you're burning, you know, the midnight oil. You've obviously figured out some business success, but clearly there's some unhealthy, you know, roots to some of that and some of that driving or just figuring out how to turn things off. Take somebody like me and say, okay, there's some things that we need to fix in you not some unhealthy natures we need to fix in you versus somebody who we're saying, okay, we see a lot of potential in you. We're going to put you through this more, you know, proactive, uh, you know, coaching, uh, healing experience to prep you for that season. Would it be basically be more reactive or proactive help or both? I, yeah, we actually cater to both. So we do align ourselves with a lot of professionals. So, we are an awareness campaign that's moved into an organization whereby we do not have the resources like phone lines or anything like that, which is why we align ourselves with professionals to take people through who do need that kind of help. However, the preventativeness, what you were talking about, <clears throat> we will work with a lot of people who do need that space within growth and working out those suppressed emotions, which is what we do a lot with the healing retreats, which... We do one-on-one -on -one of that as well at the moment. So Rob's actually on the team. So we do that and the reactive as well. So I could say we're pretty much a one-stop shop. <laughs> no, I love that. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that. And I, I, I got to imagine there's some pairing of both. I mean, I interact 
uh, I've got a couple buddies who have like executive coaching practices and I kind of, I, I've asked them somewhat of a similar question around the lines of like, are you helping leaders because they need help or because they're sort of prepping to, you know, go from a vice president to a CEO or something like that. And, you know, in that world, a lot of times they say that the person that somebody else is asking them to get help is usually the, uh, not a very interested person to get help. But the person who they're prepping to take kind of the distance is oftentimes a really remarkable client in some anyway. So I just didn't know if that would kind of apply in a similar sense. But sounds like you you can you can help both people who need healing and then also you can help people who are sort of unaware of what's to come, but you can help them with kind of the prep side of things. Yeah, well, because one of my big passions is look, there's so many advocates and there's so many <clears throat> huge organizations out there that do offer the resources. So let them do their job. I think this, they're doing amazing things and research. However, with me, what I did notice, we get a lot of people reach out to us and people are still falling through the gaps. So whether they go for help and they're basically told they don't quite fit into the category where they can get therapy or though they might be feeling suicidal, they're not showing certain symptoms or whatever it mean, means to meet the criteria in whatever country, and they're being sent away. So with us, it's, we also reach out to a lot of neuroscientists and start working on <clears throat> preliminary measures. And that's where the holistic therapy comes in a lot as well. Because nine out of 10 times, all these suppressed emotions lead to different things in someone's triggering, whether that be anger, they lash out, this oh you could go on all day about like preventative and preliminary and i just think that's where we need to be looking a lot more and also getting to the people that are sadly falling through the gaps because when i started this i reached out to all the big organizations and i got thank you but no thank you now i understood because they probably get so many people who have been affected wanting to do something however with me i was like okay well almost like Hey, you've met someone different. I'm just going to go out and do something. I don't know what it is. And then obviously it went the way it went. And now everyone's coming back to me going, this is amazing. We want to, and I'm kind of like, well, <clears throat> you know what? I keep seeing all this money being funded by the government into big organizations. Yet the suicide rates are still increasing. So we're missing something. That's not to put a blame game on anyone, but we're missing something. What is it we're missing? And there's so many people falling through the gaps. So how can we close that? So what we did, obviously, is work on those measures, but also offer some virtual hangs, whereby those people that often can't afford therapy, we actually simply reached out to therapists and psychologists and said, look, we know that you're so passionate about helping people. <clears throat> Would you give an hour of your time to almost put a virtual hang on with us, a storytelling whereby people can let a load off their chest and share it, no recording, no judgment, no nothing, like a group therapy session. And it, it's just kind of grown and grown. So we run those as well for people because there's a lot of people who literally fall through the gaps because they can't afford therapy, especially in America. Well, that's, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, we could probably have volume two, volume three, volume four podcasts. Of this, <laughs> but that's, that's, that's a very interesting point about, I mean, you stop and think about, you know, mental health is such a, such a thing that covers all walks of life, right? And you have these amazing, awesome organizations and programs and retreats and stuff like that, but those cost money, right? And so some people can afford those and some people can't. And so 
you know, how can you help people who can't afford some of those things? And the fact that there's, you know, people obviously willing to help out, you know, donate an hour of their time or whatever, just to help somebody who's that deeply in need is just, I don't know, that's such a special, gives you goosebumps sort of moment of how, how willing somebody is to help out in that sense. And yeah, that's special. I like that. Thank you. Well, that's been the whole campaign, mate. Like, when I started this and people have seen the amount of like huge names on this campaign, how big it's gone. <clears throat> and they're like, how did you get so-and-so on? Like, how much did you pay them? Did you pay? I was like, no, this is about people coming together because it's far bigger than themselves. <clears throat> and nobody's been paid. Nobody's been making money. Nobody's been, do you know what I mean? And that's how it grew until we turned it into an organization. And people laugh because I always say, you can say what you want, but I want to be like Robin Hood. And they're like, what the hell do you mean? And I'm like, take from the people that can afford it, like the big organizations, and they can pay us to run these corporate things. And then we can give to the people who can't afford it by running some virtual events. We can either pay for the psychologist or they can donate their time. But let people who really are struggling, who can't afford it, come and get help. Yeah, that's so... That gives me goosebumps. That's good stuff. Though, one quite, I don't know exactly how to ask this, but I got to imagine there's a subset, and I'm probably this way, um, probably prideful and ego-driven for as much as I try not to be enough, that by the time I'm asking for help in whatever it may be, whether it's, you know, finances for the business, whether it's, uh, you know, just my personal well-being, whether it's, you know, whatever. I, I probably ask for help when it's quote unquote, either too late or way later than I should have. Do you find the general population operates that way too? Or do you like, I mean, especially when you're talking about, you know, high success people and some of these influential people, you know, you hear their stories. Do you feel like they, like even in your story as well too, did you ask for help kind of not too late? That's such a bad way to say that, but like, far later than you should have. And what, how can we start to change the narrative on that? Yeah, look, I suppose when it's attesting to my story, <clears throat> it was, as you say there, it was ego driven, as in I thought I could fix it myself and I never told anyone till the day came when I broke down in front of my wife, the first time I've ever cried. And it got to the point where I was just at wit's end. I didn't know what was happening and I didn't know how I was gonna get over this perceived floor and, and so it was too late. And now with a podcast, so I've got a podcast which basically delves into talking to some of these successful people and what they went. And the commonality between them, whether it's because I've gone through adversity and I pick up an empathetic side and I listen to commonalities that I pick up on a lot of people. And one of the things is that a lot of them left it to the last minute. Now, however, they've turned that adversity into a positivity and everything they do now moving forward is making sure their environment, their community talk, especially within business, about their vulnerabilities. Showing vulnerability is a sign of strength. Now, in corporate, there's still kind of that stigma. We can't show a sign of weakness because people might not employ us or people... I say turn that on its head because you've got your likes of multimillionaires. You've got your Bransons. You've got your David Meltzer. You've got Anthony Chooks, who's a huge motivational speaker. That hasn't hindered their progress and they've gone on to run multi-million dollar companies. I think that's the narrative that needs to change. So whatever I'm doing now, I fully own it 
and I've really just disrupted corporate silence through LinkedIn and a lot of business profiles and the amount of feedback I get from people. Because I thought, you know what, I'm going to put it on the air. People are either going to take to it or they're not going to take to it. But you know what? That's my truth. And they always say, and I got this from David Meltzer. It was like, he once met this lady and he was ego driven. It was all about money and he was burning himself out. And she actually said, you know what? I can help you the quickest way to raise your vibration and to attract the things that you do want and the people that you want to associate is truth. Step into your truth. So have those hard conversations, show your vulnerability. And he went off and created more companies and, and your Gary V's like, he's my man. The first time and I know I'll meet him is I'll shake his hand and say thank you because he owns it. So everything I put out now, I follow my highlight reels up with the behind the scenes. And I'll ask for help because I always say, if people are playing this perception game, when everyone's on the arse during COVID and they do need help, but you're still trying to put out this perpetual cycle of, oh, I'm doing great. I don't need help. I don't need help. When you do need help, you're not going to dare ask for help. That can be attesting to the, uh, the business sense, should I say. But with mental health, I always say, start proactively having those hard conversations and it starts at home as well. Yeah, that's, that's so good. And I, I could do a much better job. And um, it's something I, I'm trying to balance a little bit of like, I recognize that I'm starting to get a following because of some early business success. And how can I be obviously somebody who celebrates wins and enjoys that and enjoys and celebrates with the team and, 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 you know, we fist pump and pop champagne when things go well, but also be equally the same level of transparent when things aren't going well, because so many times they don't. And um, yeah, so no, I, I think that's such a good word. And I think culturally uh, the narrative is starting to change and with people who are bold and willing to do it like yourself and, and make those strides. I, I, I just think it's, it's just good. It's just good all around. There's so many people in, in pain and the moment we can change the narrative that, uh, you can be vulnerable. You, you know, oftentimes when you, when you are, there's somebody else in the room who didn't say anything, who's feeling the same, same way, whether, you know, literally or, or figuratively, but it's, it's just, there's a lot of people in pain out there. And I, th I think the moment somebody has, the, has the basically balls to step forward and, and, you know, showcase behind the scenes, it, 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 it has a domino and ripple effect that I think changes generation and changes lives. So it's good stuff. Well, one of the things I've really noticed, so I've probably because of my background within fitness, I've never taken anybody's title or profession as that makes them as a person. <clears throat> so people come to, to my fitness classes in the past and it was about community. It was about connection. I've always taken that out. And predominantly when I go to LA or America, I go to the gym. That's how I get to know people. Before I know what they do, I after a couple of weeks of getting to know them, then they tell me what they do and they just happen to either be in one of the biggest films over there. I don't have time for films because I've got kids or they run this huge business and I've got to know them as the person first. And I always say when people attest this numbers game or these follower counts and I'm like, look, in business, the amount of followers or contacts you have is good for reach and exposure. We get it. However, if you are on your ass or like you say, if you're needing help, how many of those contacts or followers can you actually pick up the phone and ring? I always just tell people to actually really ingrain themselves in that. If you're going to go for the reach, I get it, do it, but also have a good community of people within that reach 
that are solid. So I always turn it around and say, have your tribe, your trusted circle that you can get on the phone and go, you know what? I'm actually struggling. <clears throat> I could do with your advice. Can you help me? Whether that's business, whether that's whatever, because LinkedIn, I moved on to that to disrupt corporate silence. And I see all these posts and I actually thought it stopped with the younger generation on social media. But I see this, I've got 50,000 connections. I've got 60,000 connections. And I'm like, but out of that, how many of them can you actually pick up the phone? If, if you can, that's amazing. But I know when I look at your profile and I look through your things, your engagement's slow. You're not commenting on each other. So you really don't know who each other are. Whereas you can come to mine and I pretty much know, I think I've got about 3,000 connections on my LinkedIn. And I could tell you everyone's name. But the thing with my networking events is, I say to people, don't come on there and pitch. <clears throat> I went to some networking events. There were 50 people. They said, you've got two minutes. Say it's an elevator pitch. I was like, I'm not on Shark Tank. I'm not trying to pitch to get money. I'm networking. So I'd rather find out about you. So people came to mine and they were like, right, don't tell me what you do. Tell us about you. Because when I go to these big networking events, I can't remember the first person when the 10th person spoke. So <clears throat> tell me something about you and I'll remember you. So for you, for instance, you were just saying about your friend who's got a farm in Georgia, your connectors afterwards, you were there last week. That would take me straight back rather than just going, oh, Matt, you're a coach, you're this, that, and the other. <clears throat> you remember, you build it for longevity. That's what I always say to people. Like if you're building business for longevity and not just a quick way to get money, build relationships and credibility. Yeah, the uh, I mean, I'm, a, I'm, I'm definitely one at fault for that. I have developed a follower base on LinkedIn of, you know, I, I try my, I mean, <laughs> you reach a point where you kind of at capacity to, you know, have meaningful relationships, whatever. But I, I definitely have had moments where uh, I definitely have had moments where I look at the number of people rather than the depth of it. And I just, you know, I, I get the short term gratification for, wow, people are following me or I must be doing something right or whatever. And then I stop and think like, man, I probably don't even know those. I don't even know how to pronounce that person's name, let alone be able to call them up. And so, you know, it's just, yeah, that there's so much to depth of things. And I mean, it goes back to the whole social media following yeah. of all the people that are liking your, you know, hot body picture. How many of them do you actually know, right? How many of them are meaningful? How many of them are interested in something that in you, not just what you are to offer with a picture that you post. And so I just think, yeah, the, the, the further and further you can aim at depth is just something else. So it's, it's a good word. Um, with, with uh, all the work and what you're doing now, what is the best way for people to get plugged in to whether it's the virtual events or the online coaching or you know, whether it's directly through you? What's the best way for people to kind of uh, reach out and, and get involved with what you got going on? Yeah, sure. So they can go to all social media platforms at Imperfectly Perfect Campaign or the official website, imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org. You can also find myself. I just do consulting now on the side. So I pretty much predominantly work with the campaign. But if organizations are wanting consulting stuff or, or public speaking, glennmarsden.com. That's how you can find me, mate. Love that. So my favorite question on the planet, Glenn, I think this whole episode has kind of been related to it. But what is it that gets you out of the bed in the morning? Who? It's, how do I put this? I'd say purpose, <clears throat> something far 
bigger than my own ego that I'm working towards. And I'll leave it saying that I was told your purpose, <clears throat> when you've got a job or you think you've found your purpose, like being of service to others or whatever it may be, scrap it. Your purpose is finding out about you. Boom. You like that one? <laughs> Love that one. <laughs> We're constantly evolving. And when we think everything's going our way, boom, something else comes up. It's because we've got to learn. I love that. I love that. Get that as a tattoo. <laughs> That's a good word. Well, Glenn, is there anything else you want to leave the audience with? No, I'll just say thank you for having me on your show. It's been a pleasure, mate. And um, yeah, I look forward to uh, keeping this friendship going. Absolutely. And as always, a guy like Rob Mack, if we, if we both have him in our circle, we're always going to be a little bit better. So I uh, just thank you to him so much for the connection as well, too. But Glenn, you're a rock star. I'll make sure to include in show notes uh, all, of, all of links for people to connect with you directly, but also with your business. And hopefully I can make some corporate introductions to drum up what you're doing as well, too. But Glenn, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. You're welcome, mate. Thank you very much. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to su subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at themattbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Matt Baxter Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye.